question. Where does custard fit into the fat loss program? Custard's a very key ingredient in the fat loss program. (laughs) If you're serious about improving your health and conditioning, or just living a longer and healthier life, you're going to love this episode. Joel Jamison is a mentor, a friend, and someone I deeply respect in our industry. He's the author of Ultimate MMA Conditioning, arguably the best conditioning book you're ever going to purchase, and probably one of my top five reads of all time in the fitness industry. He's also the creator of the Morpheus Fitness app and the Certified Conditioning Coach course. The bottom line is, Joel is a wealth of knowledge and someone I'm honored to call a friend and have back on the podcast for, I think, the seventh or eighth time now. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as I've alluded to, Joel has been a huge mentor and influence to me over the years, and it's so much fun to bring him back on the show because this guy is always learning, he's always evolving, and he's always getting better. So in this interview, we're going to discuss what he's learned from the millions of data points he's collected with Morpheus. The guy knows conditioning. So we're going to start by talking about what are the fittest people doing, and maybe more importantly, what are they not doing? We're going to talk about why zone two training is so powerful and how to make it a more consistent part of your lifestyle. We're going to talk about why lifting weights is not the same as going out and doing conditioning. If you have clients or athletes that think going in the gym and jacking their heart rate up to 150, 160, 170 with weight training is the same as conditioning, you have to listen to that section of the show. And last but not least, we're going to talk about how to improve your health via better recovery. Like I said, Joel's been on the show probably seven or eight times now for good reason. Every time he's on, it's a great episode. I think we have a lot of great chemistry. And most importantly, I learn a ton. And by extension, I hope you learn a ton. So we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to jump into this awesome new show with my guy, Joel Jameson. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you people who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process 
that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next complete coach certification launches. Joel, super excited to have you back on the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Really two questions to start. Number one, yep, yep. what's new? And number two, what city and state are you living in right now? Um, well, good to be back. I mean, do I have the record for most appearances in your show? I feel like I do. I think you do now. I think you do I now. Feel, I feel like I'm, I'm like I'm at the top or I'm close to the top. So yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the the multi uh, repeat <laughs> visits on the show. Um, yep. I'll start with the second question first, which is I'm in Washington right now, back in the okay. good old Evergreen State, uh, back to unfortunately the real world here. Uh, after being in Hawaii for a long time. Um, and what's new is, you know, just getting back to work and fixing my house up and getting back to flying the helicopter and traveling around the state. I was up in Whistler, BC for a few days, hanging out with a good friend of mine, Dr. Jerry Ramajita, performance therapist extraordinaire. Yeah. And uh, now talking to you. So lots of good stuff. Dude, I need to get Jerry on. I've you never had him Jerry on the show. On. Yeah, I mean, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry is the man. So he, he works with UK athletics uh, to help their sprinters for the Olympics that was over there in London. And he worked under Dan Paff, performance therapist, and helped develop their performance therapy, coach, uh, yeah, performance therapy coaching course at Altus. Uh, he was the Seahawks for a long, long time, which is where I met him. Yeah. He did all their manual therapy. And then he went to the Golden State Warriors and was basically in the same role of performance therapy. And uh, like I said, he's one of the few guys I know that's got two world championship title rings from two totally different teams. I mean, one from the Seahawks and one from the Golden State Warriors. So he's he's a hell of a guy, great guy, very experienced across the sporting spectrum. And yeah, he, unfortunately, he's kind of one of those guys that's under the radar. He works his ass off. He's coaching. He's busy. He doesn't uh, post a lot on social media. He is not out there writing and making videos, uh, but he is, he is as good as it gets. So yeah, you need to get Jerry on. I can make that happen. Yeah, you need to connect us. Well, dude, let's dive in because I know you've got a time crunch today and man, I got a ton of stuff I want to talk to you about. For starters, sure. uh, at the risk of shamelessly plugging your product right off the bat, dude, talk to us about the new Morpheus app. Like dude, this new thing Mor is yeah. sleek. It is sexy. It is sexy. Yeah, so the, the biggest thing, you know, for people who use Morpheus, they're probably aware of it. But if you haven't used Morpheus, it, it takes all your different lifestyle data, your activity, your sleep, your training. Uh, your heart rate variability and gives you a recovery score. And then more than that, what we've really added into it that's the coolest part is how many minutes you should get of different levels of intensity to improve your conditioning. And the way that we did that was we looked, essentially, we have a huge database now of thousands of people that have done hundreds of thousands of workouts and tracked millions of data points. And we just want to answer the question, can we figure out what people do that see increases in their HRV and decreases in their resting heart rate, which shows us better aerobic fitness, better um, conditioning in many ways. We said, what what do these people do for working out on a weekly basis versus people that don't see improvements? 
And really, that's kind of where we started the question, uh, answering the question. And we looked at 12-week periods because I didn't want to just see, okay, what does someone do that can only improve for a couple of weeks? That's not right. super compelling. So we took people, we broke them up into 12-week groups, and we looked at people who improved their numbers over those 12 weeks. And we looked at people who either stagnated or got worse over those 12 weeks. And we tried to analyze essentially the differences. And we found very clear differences in terms of how many minutes people spent to high intensity, moderate intensity, and low intensity based on where they're all, we also group them by fitness level. So obviously someone who's a fairly low level of fitness is gonna be putting in different amounts of volume and intensity than someone who is you know, at a very high level. So we grouped them and then we essentially had a data scientists write an algorithm. So what Morbius does is it looks at your level of fitness, it looks at how many days a week you're training, et cetera, et cetera. And then it prescribes basically a number of minutes per week in each of our three heart rate zones, which are really just low intensity, moderate intensity, and high intensity. And then it monitors essentially whether or not you're hitting those goals, whether or not your numbers are improving, uh, how frequently you're training, all those sorts of things, and adjust that each week. So it's going to spit out a number of minutes for low, moderate, and high each week. And those are going to be constantly changing as you go through the program. So really, it's it's guided volume and intensity in a way to help you know, improve your conditioning. And it's, it's not just this arbitrary, you know, numbers of the app pulled out of thin air. It's built on what we learned from, from millions of data points. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. I don't think there's anything else like it because there's not many other platforms that have the amount of data that we have. Um, and it's, it's great. We just launched it, uh, I think three or four weeks ago and feedback has been phenomenal and we'll, just, we'll you know, we'll continue to improve it over time. But I think it's really the first time that we can give people concrete guidance and say, and say, if you do this, you will improve your conditioning, or at least you'll be the most likely to improve your conditioning because this is what other people did that improved their conditioning that looked like you in terms of their starting fitness level. Yeah, it's so interesting because I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but you and I have had this discussion before of like, I think this is pretty obvious, like you can't compete with Apple, right? Or I mean, yeah, that's not, that's not, yeah I don't need to, I'm not too worried about that being out. <laughs> right, right. So it's like you you can't compete with some of these big fitness like no. brands. And like, look, I have an aura ring and I like that for tracking sleep. But like sure. it gives me the most general advice. Oh, you didn't sleep well last night. Don't go too hard today. Versus no. the thing that I love about Morpheus is it's very clear like, hey, this is what you can and should do today. You know, it helps really guide you in your fitness journey. And I think that's one of the things that's most impactful for people yep. is a lot of people don't know what to do. Right. So when you've got some guidance and you know, OK, hey, I want to get better from a conditioning perspective. I want to race my HRV. OK, this is where I need to be training versus, again, just this arbitrary advice of, oh, you shouldn't do as much today because you drank five bottles of alcohol last night. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, exactly. I feel like I, I think personally, I think wearables like Aura and Fitbit and other ones, they're good for building awareness. You know, if you're not aware yep. of how little you're sleeping or how poor your sleep quality is. And these tools are great because they do help you recognize that. But where they really don't do very much, like you mentioned, is is give you anything beyond like fairly obvious advice. Like, yeah, your sleep is shitty. Do something about it. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Right. Like, you know, you, you didn't walk very much. Walk more. Um, and, and that's really kind of the limitation, I think, of where most wearables are at. And that's what I wanted. You know, originally when I built Morpheus, the idea was to do more than those wearables and to give people guided coaching. And, and not only that, but to give coaches a way to augment their visibility into what people are actually doing so they can become better coaches and with the zone-based recommendations, you know, we call them as weekly zone targets. I really think you give people a lot of guidance, but it's still flexible in the sense that we're not saying, hey, you have to go do this workout. We're saying, right. here's roughly how many minutes of high-intensity workout, low-intensity and moderate-intensity you should get across the week. And then it's really up to you or your coach to decide the best way to distribute that. 
And then we also have some intervals built into the app that can help you do that if you want to build those workouts around those intervals. You know, we have a low, moderate, and high intensity intervals that you can just go in and select a certain number of minutes. But I wanted to give people guidance without literally telling them do this because that's you know a program we do have those as well but you know i think a lot of people just need that overall like okay how hard should i go and how much of that do i need that's really the fundamental question that everyone has to answer how much do i need and how hard should it be and we've tried to help provide some good you know concrete evidence-based answers on that and then people can figure out if they want to go do a specific class or they want to go out and do a hike or they want to go do some interval runs they want to go play a sport whatever it just makes it a lot more um, adaptable and flexible for people to figure out, okay, how do I you know, improve my fitness? Well, I start by getting the right amount at the right intensity, and it's up to me how I do that. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that's great too is, again, I feel like I'm plugging you, but like if you go and you read your book, right, or you take your conditioning cert, you learn all those methods, and then now if you've got the app, you've got the different like workouts built in essentially, right, to where it's yep. much more plug and play. You know what? intensity zones you need to be at, you know, what work to race rest ratios It all kind of seamlessly integrates into one another. So I think that's been really cool to see you flesh all that out. So yeah, I mean, that's always always been the goal. Yeah, that's always been the goal is to get to that point and and to give people those, um, like I said, that that guidance and let them kind of figure it out. But the the biggest thing is I think people in general, I think people kind of take one of two tracks in, in programming. They either actually follow a program, right? They have some sort of progressions <laughs> yeah. and they have a real program or they just do workouts. And for a long time, I was very just kind of like anti-workouts because you can't really progress it very well. Like, you, you know, you, if you're not consistently doing the same workouts in any capacity, you're just kind of going in and training hard. Like it's great to put in effort. Like I'm not saying there's not some value in this kind of workout-based approach, but I've always said, look, programming is the right way to, to progress over the long run and get long-term results, which I stand by. But part of what I want to do with Morpheus is like, look, if you just want to take a workouts-based approach, Morpheus is going to at least progress your volume intensity. It's going to give yeah. you the right number of minutes per week. And as your numbers improve, it's going to tell you to do more. It's going to help yeah. guide more. What is more? And that's the biggest limitation, like I said. If you just show up and work out and there's nothing behind that structure, there's no progression over time, you're going to hit a wall. Like you're just not going to get better or you're just going to push yourself so hard trying to get better that you're eventually going to burn yourself out. But if you just go, take a workout-based approach where your volume intensity is managed for you through Morpheus and it's progressing each week or regressing depending on what you're doing, then I think it makes this workout-based you know approach a lot more effective because there's some individualization and there's some regression built into it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so like you alluded to, millions of data points, right? Like mind-blowing number of data points. When you zoom out, what have you learned? Like, what were some cool things where you're like, oh, you maybe thought this and it was, you know, it was exactly what what you thought. Or maybe, hey, I was totally blown away by this. I didn't expect this. What was some stuff that you learned from looking at all these data points? Sure. I mean, a lot of it reinforced what I thought, but some of it uh, didn't. Like, so the, the, the one thing we found that was pretty clear is that the higher you go up the fitness ladder, the more volume at lower intensities you need, which is, you know, not that counterintuitive, but. You know, people kind of think like, oh, the more in shape I get, the more I just need high intensity at higher volumes. No, like the people that we saw at the highest level of fitness did the least amount of high intensity training. Hmm. They did the most low intensity training. They just needed the most volume. And that's just what it comes down to. The higher level you get in terms of aerobic fitness and just fitness in general, the more training you need, just period. You need more training to keep being better. And that more training can't be that much more intensity because there's a limit to how much you can recover from. 
So right. we just kind of saw this very clear progression that the higher up the fitness ladder you go, the more volume you need. And actually the total percentage of high intensity went down noticeably. We also saw um, at the lower fitness groups, the people who did the higher percentage of high intensity got worse than the people who did lower in the amounts of higher intensity. So it kind of reinforced, it was actually hmm. somewhat surprising of how much of a difference that made. Like um, you know, the lowest category of fitness people that did the highest intensities got significantly worse versus the people who did this low to moderate amount of higher intensity got significantly better. So again, we just kind of saw hmm. like too much intensity is not like you definitely need it. I don't want to say you don't need intensity. You do. But we just kind of saw that that was a big differentiator at the low at the lower fitness levels. Intensity was a bigger differentiator at the higher intensity level or higher fitness levels. It was a lot of volume, period. Yeah. Um, okay. The other thing that's interesting is activity. So, you know, people have been keep saying, like, you know, go 10,000 steps or, you know, go be active and do as many. We actually found that the people that improved uh, the most did somewhere between seven and eight thousand average. And the people who got worse were doing 10 to 14,000. So really? Yeah, we saw just huh. why it's better. Now, this is especially true at the highest fitness levels. It's, it's less true at the lower fitness levels, um, simply because if you're training a bunch and you're also super active, you, you're not recovering very well. So uh, that's okay. not rocket science, but it, it wasn't, it was not this like move more equals better fitness. No, like 7,000, 8,000 seems to be about right. Assuming that you're training on top of that. Hmm. So, you know, we could rethink like, yeah, you want to work out and be active, but you don't necessarily want to go out and hit 20,000 steps a day to earn points in some app or, or whatever. That's probably not going to actually support much of anything. Um, sleep, same thing. We saw people that improved typically between seven and a half and eight and a half hours, which isn't super rocket science. Uh, we saw how they rate sleep quality was really important and, and actual the standard deviation of sleep was important. So people who were consistent in their sleep and, and were always hitting roughly close to the same amount of sleep made a big difference. So those things weren't really rocket science, but it was cool to see the data actually bear that out and, right. and see that people were, you know, the things that we know work really actually do work. And you see that pretty clearly in the data when you, when you dive into it. Hmm. So well, first off, it's just cool to see the objective side of this, right? Like things that yep. you inherently believe to be true. And then you're like, no, okay, well, sleep is important, right? Yep. Low, like a high volume of low intensity work is important. Did you come up with I hate like the holy grail or like secret sauce type recipe, but it was like, was there a ratio that you found of low, medium and high intensity training that tended to work pretty well for like a broad swath of the population for the average person that just wants to get fitter? What percentage about should they be looking at with their training? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it fell pretty close to 80, 20 rule. Uh, really? You want to just give it that metric across all, if you, if we took all three groups and we just kind of threw the, the closest numbers at it, and like I said, it shifted, right? So the highest volumes of the lowest high intensities was the, the highest category and vice versa at the bottom. They could get away with a little bit more, but at the bottom, but the, you know, the 80, 20 rule, I think still stands and it's, you know, we, we have three zones, so it's low, moderate, low, moderate, and high intensity. So it's a little bit different than just 80, 20 in right. two, two categories. But when we kind of looked at the big picture, you know, it was somewhere around 20% um, or less was in that green and red zone, the two high intensity and somewhere around 80, you know, ish percent was in that lower intensity zones. So hmm. it's just kind of the way the, the numbers fell and there's probably a reason for it. And like I said, I think the more interesting thing was just the fact that the people that got worse weren't ones that did, you know, way less. It was actually people that did too much at the higher intensity yeah. zones. So, well, and it's so interesting too, right? Cause think about common fat loss culture right? It's like, oh, just do high intensity interval training, do your workouts in like five, 10 minutes. 
Like that's what we were force fed for so long. Yep. And now you think about the people that are doing fat loss workouts are generally people that are overly stressed, overweight, don't take care of themselves. So now they go in and they crush themselves with high intensity work thinking it's going to make them better and it actually makes them worse. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that people need to recognize is all of your decisions are this giant chain reaction. So if I go in and I smash myself for a workout, whether it's a ton of high intensity or a ton of high volume or whatever, that, that changes my appetite. And that right. changes how I think about food. That makes it a lot harder for me to stick to diets because if I create this massive caloric deficit through exercise, my body is going to adjust. It's going to adapt <laughs> to that. It's going to adapt to that by making me hungrier, by making me less motivated to work out the next day. Uh, I might have a meal later in the evening when I probably shouldn't. And that meal might include something, in, in, you know, in, influences my sleep, makes it more difficult to sleep. And that lack of sleep then makes me more hungry the next day, et cetera, et cetera. Like all of our lifestyle decisions are are connected to one another. It's not like any of these things exist in a vacuum or a void. Like I said, if, if you smash yourself in the workout, there are costs to that. And those costs honestly typically make it diff more difficult to stick to your diet. So I just generally think that exercise is the most important tool for health and longevity and wellness and how we feel and all that stuff. And diet is a tool that we use to control our body weight and, you know, that end of things. I don't think we should think about exercise as a weight loss tool to begin with. Exercise is a health tool. Diet is the weight loss tool and they're connected, obviously. But right. I think it's just a mistake to go into the gym and try to create this massive caloric deficit through exercise. It's just not the right way to approach things. Question, where does custard fit into the fat loss program? Custard's a very key ingredient in the fat loss program. So. <laughs> actually, you know what? That's actually a good example. It's kind of funny because I was having this discussion with my wife. We were talking about in Vegas, you know, we really kind of, when you go to a new area and you're, you're not in home, like you got to kind of figure out what foods you're going to eat or what stores you're going to go shop at or how you're going to cook. You know, and you're in someone else's house. You might not have all the same things you have. And we kind of like settled into this rhythm of, of mostly eating in the house, but also going out and having some good food. And we incorporate our little custard meals. Our pre-workout meal was some some good old fastened Nielsen's custard. Shout out to <laughs> Nielsen's in Vegas if you're ever there. Yeah. Uh, excellent custard. And it was, you know, it was like three to 400 calories before workout. And it's just kind of funny because having that little pre-workout treat, you know, was a great thing to look forward to. And it kept us from having maybe other foods in Vegas that were probably going to be much more calorically dense and probably much more detrimental. So you right. know, I'm not, I'm not saying custard is the, is the preferred pre-workout choice. Actually, maybe I am saying that, uh, <laughs> but you know, I think people, people can be flexible with the foods that they eat. They don't have to eat this perfect diet all the time, but if you get the calories, right, it makes everything else work. You know, like you yeah. obviously want to eat high quality foods with good nutrient density and quality, and you want to do all this, but at the end of the day, like you still going to live your life. If you can get the calories in, with, with you know that end of things correct you can generally try to get your macronutrients dialed in you know you can fudge the foods a little bit and you can have some normal foods and some foods that maybe aren't the best healthy thing in the world but you know you, you gotta enjoy yourself too yeah they're damn good is nielsen's yep. is that the one that we went to uh we went to nielsen's and then i think love it i might take oh, love, love it love it custard love, love it. it custard another great yes. one Oof. Yeah, so yeah, we, they... we, we pursued all of them in Vegas and found, <laughs> found the favorites. Love it and Nielsen's really were the top two, in, in my humble opinion. If your viewers have other choices, they can write in and tell us where to go try next time. Let, but... let us know, man. We'll be back in Vegas at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, okay, they were, so they were solid. They, they were very solid. Okay, so something else I'm interested in, because obviously you've been talking about conditioning for, damn, I don't know, 12, long 15 time. years now. A long time, right? 15 years. Something like that. And... The backlash initially from cardiac output, 
Mm -hmm. right? And oh my God, what is this guy talking about? And then people started to come around. And now I feel like people don't want to call it cardiac output. It's zone two, right? Everybody's talking about zone two again. Yeah, we got to rebrand it, make it cool and sexy. Marketing, all marketing. Absolutely, it's all marketing. But with that shift in marketing, do you feel like people are more receptive to this kind of training now? Yeah, 100%. So I I did a Google Insights search. So if people don't know what that is, it kind of... Google kind of tell you what topics are trending and like the volume of search. Like they don't tell you the number of searches, but they just show you this kind of graph of how interest in a specific search term is changing over time. And so I went into Google Insights and I looked up Zone 2 Cardio and it just looks like a giant skyrocketed, poof, you know, straight up the last couple of years. So the amount of interest in Zone 2 Cardio has skyrocketed because you've got guys like you, Minatia, and, you know, others in the space talking about the importance of it, which again, it's super funny because like you mentioned when i first wrote ultimate mma conditioning and i first started talking about conditioning i was like athletes need some lower intensity work and some higher <laughs> volumes you know no I, I never said like don't do high intensity i simply said like you can't do nothing but high intensity you need a mixture of intensities in there and there's a reason that volume has been used in training programs forever there's a reason right combat athletes you know have done road work and whether or not that's the right mode is questionable or discussion you can have but you need lower intensity work. You need higher volumes. Um, and it was, like I said, it was controversial. And it was kind of funny because I would get so much backlash on, no, you just need, you know, look at CrossFit. It's all high intensity. It's all you need, blah, blah, blah. And then 10, 15 years later, whatever it is, it's like, oh, you need zone two cardio. You need lower intensity <laughs> work for health and longevity. Like, no shit, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all marketing. And, hey, more power to whoever. I don't know kind of where the zone two started, but more power to whoever came up with it. But it, it, is, it is something to do with the psyche of like a, a concept or an idea that gains momentum that other people are doing. It's acceptable, right? And then it yep. starts to gain traction in the industry. But for a while, it was Tabata. I mean, Tabata is just one dude who published one paper on <laughs> intervals with 14 people. I mean, people don't recognize this. Tabata had 14 people in the study, seven yeah. people in the interval group, seven people in the endurance group. And that one study by Tabata, like, think how much influence that had in the way that millions of people worked out. I tried to get a hold of that guy. Yeah. I wanted to just kind of ask him when I was over there if he actually had any <laughs> real understanding of the impact of that one paper he published. It's also funny because people don't realize a whole other discussion. But in the Tabata group, he had them do endurance training, zone two cardio one day a week, which is funny if you yes. never know that. But it's funny. Like I said, the fitness injury is such a fad-driven, marketing-driven thing where this you know, this topic or this method, this idea, whether it's Tabata or zone two, it just kind of comes in and then explodes. And then eventually like the next thing comes along. So at at least in this way, uh, this, this point zone two is beneficial. It is something people need to be doing. It's healthy for them. And and hopefully that sticks around and doesn't just get replaced by zone three or or whatever, whatever up next. Right. So I also got a friend who, who was at the, um, the workshop you were at Joel Yakowitz. He owns, yeah, Dexafit, yeah. Dexafit next to me. And so he told me there. So Dexafit does DEXA scans and VO2 max metabolic type tests. And he was telling me that in the last, you know, six, 12 months, they've also exploded and they're getting a huge number of people that want to come in and get VO2 max testing and DEXA. Because again, this is being written about and discussed by some of the bigger influencers in the industry. So, you know, it's just funny. People are very, you know, bad driven. But look, things I've been writing about for 10, 12, 15 years, things you've been talking about, like, I don't care how much attention they're getting. They've always worked and they're always going to work. The things that we know work aren't just going to stop working just because people aren't talking about them. So 
I think that's an important thing to consider. It's, you know, the fundamentals of training have always been the fundamentals of training. And I hate to say this, but all the research and all the millions of published papers out there that tell us creatine works, no shit. We know creatine <laughs> works. Like we don't need right. papers to tell us that the fundamentals of training and eating and sleeping work. We, we know this. And for most people, I think it's more about just finding ways to make it work in their lifestyle than it is about chasing yes. some new fancy method or some new high tech thing. Like it's, it's more about just how do I personally incorporate healthy lifestyle and training the, in a way that's sustainable into my life so that I can do this for the rest of my life. That's the question people not, need to be answering, not, not necessarily some new fancy topic. Right. Okay. So sidebar then, yep. you mentioned that when it comes to zone two, right, there's all kinds of different modalities. Do you have preferred modalities? Cause I know a lot of people still have this, this mindset of they could be 50 or hundred pounds overweight. Right. And they're like, well, running is the best way to get in shape. You and I both know, hey, maybe that works, but maybe it doesn't, right? Yeah, so right. what are some of your favorite modalities to just build that zone two or that cardiac output? Yeah, I mean, look, I think you've got to figure out what you enjoy doing and what you're built to do. You know, like if you're 300 pounds, like running down the pavements, probably not going to be the best thing for your joints. Uh, you right. probably find lower intensity or lower impact ways of doing that. So really, it really doesn't matter. It's, you know, I like to hike personally. I ride my bike a lot. Um, you know, I do go for runs here and there, swim when I can. So everyone's got to find their own, you know, way of getting in that lower intensity of work. If it's, if it's, you love to ride bikes, go ride bikes. If you love to hike, go hike. If you want to go play pickleball, go play pickleball. I don't care. You know, you just got to get in those. And then here's the other thing too, is the zone two cardio does not like stop working. If you slow down a little bit in the zone one, or if you speed up a little bit and go into zone three, like, right. It's really just about a level of effort that's sustainable for a fair amount of time, you know, 30, 60, 90 minutes or whatever. And that level of effort is there because that's what you can do the volume at. If you go a little bit higher, a little bit lower intensity, it's not going to destroy you. It's not going to change it. So you don't have to be just going at a constant pace either. Like if you find it really boring to just go the exact same pace for 30 minutes, change the pace up. You don't, you don't have to just sit there like a, you know, like super monotonous. You can change it. Um, right. But like I said, I, I like variety. Like I, said, I go hike, I go ride my bike. I, I run a little bit. Um, a higher intensity work. I, I play racquetball and stuff like that. But whatever people enjoy doing, I think that's to me, that's one of the most important things about fitness is like for the average person, unless you're getting paid to do it, you need to find something that you enjoy. Period. Yes. If you yes. don't enjoy it, if it's a if every day, it feels like a chore and you're trying to prove your mental toughness. You're not going to win that game because you're not that mentally tough. Like eventually your brain's going to fight back. And recognize that you don't really like doing this. You're not going to do it. So yeah, find find your fun. I don't care what it is. It's hiking, biking, swimming, jogging. You know, elliptical bikes, whatever. It, it doesn't really matter as long as you just get in there and do the work and you have fun in the process. Right. Well, like you've alluded to, it comes down to consistency. Right. You can't do it for a week. It's got to be consistent. The other piece is like it's got to be something where you can continuously, like up to a point, you got to add volume. Yep. Right. Like exactly. you got to keep building that base. So if you don't, if you can't stay consistent and you can't increase volume, you're not going to be successful. So like you alluded to find things that are fun. I think that's a big, big deal. Now, this leads me to a great question. You and I were going back and forth up on this because there are people that think, oh, I'm going to use my strength training. I am yep. going to lift really heavy things for short reps and spike my heart rate. And that's going to be my zone two cardio. Yeah, Explain oh yeah, to me the, yep. the fallacy in that thinking. 
Yeah, so there was there was a video that went around IG or somewhere that I, I got tagged like fifty times this one video, and it was it was Arthur Jones. Um, and for those of you who don't know Arthur Jones, is he created Nautilus, you know, which is really he's really the godfather of strength training machines. Yeah, like he went out and sold strength training machines. He cre- created the market for all the machines we have now. Now, not to say that's a bad thing, but he essentially believed. I believe he believed wholeheartedly, and he preached endlessly until. A, he passed away that all you really needed to do was lift weights on machines. He was against free weights because they were quote unquote dangerous uh, for the most part. And he really just thought everything was Nautilus strength training equipment or that's it. And everything should be right. high intensity to failure. Kind of his proteges or Mike Menser um, and some of the early, early bodybuilders that, you know, espouse that philosophy. But anyway, this video went viral because in the video, he basically says, you know, strength training is the best form of cardio ever invented by a mile and endurance athletes are out there dropping dead from doing too much cardio, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, ignoring all the just kind of nonsense, you have to understand, like he was a salesman from beginning to the end. And I do think he believed what he was selling. Um, right. But we just have to recognize if, if this were the case, like if strength training was the best way to build your cardiovascular fitness, then we would see people who do nothing but strength training, power lifters, Olympic lifters, bodybuilders, you know, strength athletes, they would be out there with monster aerobic systems able to go out and run miles and swim for distance and ride bikes, but half of them can't cross the street without gassing out. <laughs> uh, period. Yes. And, you know, yeah. I put a I put a post on IG that said something effective, like if you think strength training is an effective form of cardio, like go run a mile and tell me how you do, because you won't oh. do very well. And the reason is simply because they're very, I mean, this should be obvious, but they are very different activities. Okay. Yeah. Lifting weights is spiking your blood pressure and causing the heart have to resist those high blood pressures. And it's causing all your fast twitch muscle fibers and your CNS, everything to fire maximally, which requires this huge sympathetic nervous system spike. In other words, it pours adrenaline and noradrenaline into the bloodstream. That is what is driving your heart rate up. That's yeah. a very different thing than when I do cardiovascular work which is much lower load, much lower blood pressures. What drives my heart rate is the need for oxygen, the O2 demand. So most of what's causing our cardiovascular fitness to improve is that our body is demanding a lot of oxygen and our heart's working hard to supply that oxygen. So when we are doing a lower form of any form of cardiovascular exercise, that's not just heavy weights, we're, we're you know hitting high levels of VO2 and you can get up to your VO2 maximum. And again, it's because all these tissues want oxygen. When you're lifting weights, that's not the case. You're not demanding the same level of oxygen because one, your total body is probably not working in the same capacity because you're heavy and you're lifting weights. But two, right. because your blood pressure is so high and you're causing restriction and compression in those tissues where you're lifting, you can't get the same blood volume, the same volume of oxygen in those tissues anyway. And it's an anaerobic event. So fundamentally, lifting weights is anaerobic. You know, recovery <laughs> right. is the aerobic piece between that, sure. But you're not going to build this big aerobic engine through a completely anaerobic lifting of weights that's you know 10 seconds to a minute or whatever, depending on what you're doing. It just doesn't work that way. And again, we, we understand mechanistically why it doesn't work that way. It's because the heart's being driven by adrenaline or adrenaline, not being driven by the need for oxygen. And the blood pressures and everything else are completely different. So if you look at the hearts of, of people lift weights, they look very different than the people that don't lift weights. And you can look at resting heart rate and heart rate variability and VO2 max, and anaerobic threshold, any marker that we would consider a good value, you know, a good way to estimate aerobic fitness. And you measure those things in strength athletes and you measure those things in 
endurance athletes, you're going to see a very, very different picture for a reason because those trainings right. lead to very different adaptations. So it's just kind of a, it's, it's just a false way of thinking about things where you look at like one external metric and you know, heart rate and you try to infer everything that's happening underneath the hood to drive that and assume it's the same. No, it's not the same. The end result might look like a similar heart rate number, but what's driving that is the most important thing. It's like two people who went 10,000 steps in a day. Well, what do they do for the 10,000 steps? If, if one sprinted throughout half the day and one just walked <laughs> around, they both did 10,000 steps, but I couldn't tell you what was going to happen by looking at that number. So, yeah. you know, I understand the idea that like, oh, I'm getting my heart rate up. It feels hard. Therefore, it must be building my cardiovascular fitness the same way. But it's just unfortunately not the same thing. It's the same thing with the sauna. You know, I've, I've seen people talking about I'm going to get my heart rate up in the sauna for my cardio. Like sauna has great benefits. I, I, I don't dispute that. Um, and there can be some just general stress building, stress tolerance things that come out of that. But no one's sitting in the sauna to build a cardiovascular fitness. You know, if that was the case, you would see every athlete in the endurance world in the face of the earth living in saunas to try to increase their fitness when they're not training. But again, it's because the VO2 isn't there. The demand for oxygen is not there. You're just sitting down in the sauna and you're getting <laughs> hot and your heart rate's having to elevate to try to cool your body off and you're getting some sympathetic spike in there that's doing that. But your heart rate being elevated in the sauna isn't because all the muscles are asking for oxygen. They're just sitting there doing nothing. So we, we have to look at, you know, the bigger picture here of what your body is doing, because that's what's going to determine how it adapts. You know, when you lift weights, it adapts by getting better at lifting weights. When you do cardiovascular exercise, it gets better by getting better at cardiovascular exercise. So right. it's just important, I think, to, to recognize that use the right tool for the job is what it comes down to. If I'm trying yeah. to get stronger, more explosive, faster, build muscle, I lift weights. If I'm trying to build my cardiovascular fitness, my aerobic engine, my VO2, I do the things that we know build those things, and that's not lifting weights. Yeah. Well, and look, we've all been around the the salesman over the years, right? You do this long enough, you're going to come across more than a few. Oh yeah. Like one one of the biggest piece uh, of cardiovascular slash conditioning uh, sales pieces actually came from you in that piece of research that you were talking about, where like they looked at the mortality rates and like the best aerobically trained people lived how was it eight years longer on yeah, they, average than like the average person yeah they looked at basically there's a few papers out there this was what a review paper that looked at meta-analysis meta it looked at different papers that looked at athletic populations and looked at longevity and you know for the most part what you see is people who are just physically active you know versus sedentary they're going to live two to four years longer than kind of your average person who's you know not very active and somewhat sedentary and then people in sports and team sports, some they, they either depend on the paper you look at, they either live around the average or they kind of live, they live around the average of the active person. Like they don't tend to live significantly longer unless you're an endurance athlete. The endurance athlete populations consistently show anywhere between like five years up to eight, eight and a half years, depending on the paper you look at. But wow. it correlates with the same other papers we see. We're just, if we just look at VO2 max, we know that when you increase VO2 max, you live longer. So, and that's something a lot of the same guys I mentioned earlier are talking about. So it shouldn't be surprising that endurance athletes who build a huge VO2 max live longer than people who don't do a bunch of endurance training and don't build VO2 max. And we also have to consider just lifestyle factors obviously play a role in that. You know, maybe, sure. you know, endurance athletes probably have a better diet than the average person. They probably get more sleep because they train more. There's probably all kinds of lifestyle factors driving that. But honestly, who cares? Because if you, if you have to get those lifestyle factors dialed in to get that VO2 max higher, then it's just as valuable. We can't say like, oh, it, it doesn't matter because 
you know, it wasn't the actual VO2 max being high. It was the lifestyle factors. Great. But if you want to get your VO2 max up, then you're going to have to get those lifestyle factors dialed in anyway. So yeah. I, I think we just have to recognize that endurance athletes, people that have higher levels of aerobic fitness, higher HRV, lower rest and heart rate, they live longer because they're better at dealing with stress and the aerobic system is what deals with stress. So that's the easiest way to think about it. Yeah. Okay. A couple more here. Sure. So I can't remember if this was an article or a newsletter, but you actually talked a lot about VO2 max lately. Yeah. And a lot of people will think, oh, I got to go find a metabolic car or they got to go find Joel and do a DEXA fit, which is great. Like I actually, uh, after your, your last uh, seminar, the one that we did in Vegas, I found one. There's one in Louisville. So I'm going to go great. do it at some point. But let's say somebody lives in Timbuktu, right? Or they don't want to shell out the cash to do a VO2 max test. What are some alternative options for them to get just a baseline level of their aerobic fitness? Yeah, so I mean, you, you do have options. So the first one, kind of the thing that's been around for a long time is called the Cooper's Test. Um, and essentially, it's just a 12-minute run as far as you can. And then you can find tables and, and uh, tools online. You just type in how far you went and your age and gender, and it'll spit you out an estimated VO2. So... Again, if you never run, it's not going to be the best representative than if you run all the time because you're just your ability to run is probably more of a limiting factor than anything else. But it's at least a starting point. Uh, if you yeah. have no other tools, you just have a track and you can measure how far you run or just a watch to measure how far you run, whatever. Then you can literally just estimate your VO2. So that's that's one thing. Um, and then the second one that's, I think, pretty damn good, actually, is the Garmin watches these days. The more that you run, the more it'll start estimating your VO2 because... At different mm -hmm. levels of VO2 max, you're going to be able to run certain speeds at certain heart rates, and your heart's going to show certain profiles. And so Garmin just collected an insane amount of data, far more than I'll ever get in my life on Morpheus. <laughs> and they've kind of figured out what people with different levels of VO2 max can do when they go out and actual run speeds. Um, and mm -hmm. I know I don't know Garmin's stuff well enough. Probably cycling. I would guess they do the same thing if you cycle a lot. I would, estimate, right. I would imagine, but I haven't seen that because um, I don't cycle enough. But they've just built this algorithm that estimates your VO2 based on your running speeds. So if you go out and you get a good Garmin watch, you go run a bit, it's going to estimate your VO2 max there. So, I mean, those are two okay. ways that you you know, you know don't need to go get a metabolic cart. Kind of the third way, um, which isn't really going to give you a VO2 max, but you can just use good old-fashioned resting heart rate. And, and they're going to correlate. You know, they're not, it's not a perfect one-to-one. -one, but in general, you know, if your resting heart rate's in the low 50s, you know your VO2 max is higher than if your resting heart rate's in the 80s or 70s. So you right. can kind of use it as a proxy. You don't necessarily get a VO2 max per se, but it's a measure of the same thing. It's general cardiovascular capabilities. And, and VO2 yeah. max is really measuring the top end of that and resting heart rate is measuring the bottom, but they both correlate to the same thing, which is your body's ability to deliver oxygen and utilize that oxygen efficiently. So I kind of, I had this, you know, if, if you're just general population, like your goal is to live a long, healthy life and you don't want to get diseases and you want to feel good, you know, get your resting heart rate in the 50s, somewhere in the 50s. Lower is better, right. um, but, you know, even mid to upper 50s, like if you can do that, chances are you're in that range where your life expectancy is going to be, you know, measurably improved compared to if your heart rate was in the 70s and your VO2 max will absolutely be higher than if your resting heart rate was in the 70s. So just kind of shoot for, get my resting heart rate in the 50s consistently. Yeah, that's, that's I love a, it. You know, a good general guideline and again lower 50s is better than higher 50s but just get it in the 50s yep man i love these conversations right because i feel like we touch all the bases we talk training we talk nutrition we talk recovery so that's really the last question i want to read this uh ig post that you put up because yep. i think it just beautifully illustrates where a lot of us 
are are putting our energy with regards to recovery. So uh, I'll link to this in the show notes, but here's your post. The fastest way to speed up your recovery isn't doing cryo, cold plunges, the sauna, or foam rolling. It's getting enough sleep, learning how to relax, eating the right foods, and managing your training stress effectively. No recovery method can replace a healthy lifestyle. Man, I just... Boom. (laughs) Knowledge bomb. And just in case you were wondering, there was like 18,000 some likes on that. That one one really went, went, went big. And I think it just, look, I love recovery methodologies and modalities. They're great. But to me, they're kind of like the supplement of the training world, right? Like you want to go out and get your diet figured out and dialed in before you start spending a whole bunch of money on supplements because they will make a difference, but that difference that they can make is built on the foundation you've set to begin with. So yeah, it's, if you want to start doing different cryo or, or contrast or whatever, that's great. But if your training program is shit and your sleep <laughs> is terrible and your diet's not dialed in, then those things aren't going to make much of a difference. Like I really right. fundamentally believe people have to focus as much of their energy and effort as possible on the areas that make the biggest difference. And they get too caught up in these things that are very minute details. You know, whether or not you yeah. do a cold plunge, okay, great. That's if you love doing it, do it. But that's a small part of your fitness for most people. Like you've got to get your basics down. If you've got the basics down, right? Your training program's consistent. You're getting eight to eight and a half hours a night of sleep consistently. Your diet's really good the majority, the vast majority of the time. You're good at dealing with stress. You you know, you do those sorts of things. If you've got all that dialed in, then yes, then the next uh, the next layer of fitness is adding in these smaller areas that make the difference once you've got the foundation there. But I think right. too many people they try to like use these as shortcuts or quote unquote hacks. I hate that term. Yes, I do too. Uh, personally, just because there's not a hack. Like you just have to get things figured out for the most part in your lifestyle, and then you can add layers in. But there's no way of like escaping the foundation building. There's no shortcut to getting enough sleep. There's no supplement that's going to make up for a shitty diet like it just doesn't exist and you know again when it comes to recovery stuff it's really important but most people's recovery starts with the right program you know if your program is really good then you shouldn't have to layer in a ton of different recovery modalities so again i think the recovery stuff for athletes who are in season this is where it becomes hugely important for a lot of different modalities if you're in a training camp for a fight like you have to put in a huge amount of skill work but if you're just training for everyday health and longevity, get your program dialed in, get your sleep dialed in. And if the recovery modality is like, okay, relaxation, great. Sauna, great. Cold plunge, great. Those things should be used to help you sleep better. And these, those things should be used to help you dial your lifestyle in, not as like an excuse to train way more than you need to. And they just right. have to be used in the right context. So I'm actually putting together a recovery certification. I don't think I've announced, yes. I don't think I've announced that anywhere. I didn't know but, that. But I'm Let's announcing go. it right here on your show. Let's go. Boom. Let's go. The first time uh, I'm going to launch <laughs> that in the fall. And I'm, gonna, I'm doing it largely because there's just so much misinformation out there kind of about what r- the role of recovery is. How do you use it? You know, what are the right tools and, and what aren't the right tools? How does it fit into the bigger picture? So I'm putting all that together. It'll be for coaches, obviously. Um, but I have a recovery to win course that quite a few people have taken that are not co- coaches and you know really enjoyed it so again i think the the human it's human nature right to be looking for shortcuts it's human nature to be thinking like oh i can you know i got six hours sleep but i can go do this thing and that's gonna save me like well actually you just need to get more sleep that's that's the most important thing so i know that's boring i keep hammering this home but the basics shit they work 
Like figure yeah. out how to get those down before you worry about anything else. And then you'll be a lot yeah. better off. Yeah. It's just, it's frustrating sometimes. I know we talked about this numerous times. It's just frustrating. You know, how many, how many posts do you see on a given day on Instagram, Twitter, whatever? Check me out. I'm about to go do my ice bath, bro. You yep. know, but you know damn well that person slept four hours that night or drank like a fish the night before. They're cramming, you know, junk food. And it's like, okay, that's great. And it looks great on the gram, but it's not really moving the needle if all those other lifestyle factors aren't locked in. Yep. And look, here, here's one thing I'll say. If you want to consider some form of recovery or regen, whatever, that's going to make the most difference. It's whatever you can do to relax, period. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't care what that is for you, whether it's meditation or it, maybe it is a cold plunge, you relax afterwards, or it's massage or it's soft tissue work you do on your own. I don't care, but any sort of recovery method that helps you just turn off that stress in your life, that is something you should be adding in. I wouldn't, even, I don't see, I don't know like call that recovery method. I just call that stress management. Yeah. That, that yeah. is something that you should focus on. So instead of posting, you're, I'm going to go jump in the ice bath and feed myself my balls off or, or whatever, or, you know, half an hour. It should be like, I'm going to, I'm chilling in my room. <laughs> I'm going right. to do nothing. Right. Like here's a picture of my yeah. room doing nothing. I'm just relaxing, yeah. you know, like I'm just, I'm going to go in a quiet space and I'm going to listen to some music and I'm going to shut the world out for 10 minutes. Like that's a boring post, but that's a much yeah. more effective post for most people or much they should be doing versus these kind of external things that are stimulatory. You don't need more, most people don't need more stimulus. They need less yeah. stimulus. Uh, mm. If you can figure out ways to turn that stimulus from life off and just be and be quiet, you know, that is going to be a better recovery tool for the vast majority of people than anything else. Boom. That's gold right there, dude. Less stimulus, less that's, stimulus. Well, that's, that's huge. I'm curious to see how this new uh, threads plays out because now we're, or everyone on Instagram going to now start posting on threads and we're going to get more of the exact same stuff on two platforms. And I think we've, I know, you know, again, I, I think social media is a necessary evil in some ways, because there's a lot of, there's good things to come out of it, but it is this right. constant bombardment of stimulus and stress and things that I think is not good for most people's um, overall mental well being and maybe no. longevity, especially the youth. No. That's a whole other topic. Um, <laughs> But, you know, find ways to turn off your phone. So I, something I do every, every night now is I just put my phone away. I've been working on that at least. Yeah. My, my Achilles heel is I, I do browse newspaper sites and right. screw around and waste time. So I've been trying to just turn my phone off. And then we have music that plays out throughout my house. And at nighttime, I start playing like spa, you know, relaxation music in the house about two yeah. hours before bed. So just trying to think about ways to destimulate myself as I get closer to bedtime and that kind of stuff yeah. really makes a big difference. I love it. Okay, man. I know we're up against the gun here. Boom. Last question, man. What What's next for Joel Jameson? You got the recovery cert. Like, what else are you working on right now? Yeah, so like I said, recovery cert's the biggest. Obviously, we're going to yeah. build a bunch of new features into Morpheus. So what, like you mentioned in Morpheus, you can do intervals. Uh, we want to make it so you can build programs out of those intervals. So I could say okay. I want to do five minutes to this interval, then I want to do 10 minutes to this interval, and then I want to do zone two for 20 minutes. And you'd be able to program okay. with Morpheus and have it do that. And then coaches would be able to deliver that to their clients as well. And then kind of the next thing beyond that is I'm going to build out a lot more training programs. So I have okay. an eight week just general health and wellness conditioning program right now that people can follow and Morpheus is really the easiest way to follow that. Uh, but I want to launch a whole other bunch of other ones. So 
tactical programs, team sports programs, endurance programs, you know, kind of you name it. I want to give people the option where if they want to use Morpheus or they have a coach, they can do their own programs and Morpheus helps guide that process. If they don't have a coach and they want programming, then they can get that from me as well. So I'm just trying to cover all those bases and, and help people regardless of where they're at and what they're trying to do. Yeah, I love it, man. Always got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I always feel right. like I'm slacking off when I talk to you. So well, you need to step my game up. I, I haven't launched anything for a while, so I gotta work. <laughs> don't be don't be too yeah. worried about it. It's summertime, so it'll, it'll take longer than I want anyway. That's true. That's true. All right, man. This has cool. been awesome. Where can my people find out more about you and all the work that you're doing? Yep, eightweeksout.com. Just number eight weeks out. Um, Instagram's coach. Joel Jameson, I'm on the old threads now, but I haven't posted anything yet, so I probably will at some point. Um, but ABC right. really is the best way to, to find out what I'm up to and then follow me on IG as well. Cool, man. I'll make sure I put all that in the show notes. And again, Joel, thank you, man. This was amazing. No problem. I'm, I'm glad to set the record and uh, happy to come back anytime to keep that. If anyone comes close to me, let me know. I'll jump on. That's right. I love it. <laughs> all right, cool. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Joel Jameson. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, the guy is so smart. I love talking to him. He always makes me think. And I think there are some great, great talking points in this episode. If you went through the whole thing, even if you went fast, I hope you took away a couple things. Number one, lifting weights, getting in the sauna, just because it jacks your heart rate up, not the same as going out and doing conditioning. So you can't compare the two. They're not the same. And the mechanisms and the adaptations that they're creating are not the same. I love the section on zone two training. I love figuring out ways to make it fun, to keep it creative so that you'll consistently do it. Man, there's just so much great information in this show. And I really hope you took at least one or two things away from it. If you did, got a small favor to ask. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, take two seconds out of your day and do that right now iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon Store. We're even on YouTube podcasts these days. So wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you are already a subscriber, thank you. I appreciate it. Go one step further and share this episode with somebody that would benefit from it. It could be a trainer. It could be a coach. It could just be a friend or colleague, somebody that's looking to get a little bit fitter. They want to you know, add a couple extra years to their life by doing the right types of training. Whoever would benefit from this, please share it with them. Any little bit helps, and you know the mission here, guys. We're trying to make this place, whether it's the fitness industry or just the world as a whole, we're trying to make it a little bit better, educate people, and help them get the most out of their training. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.